I've been encouraging people to get involved with crypto kind of gently. I think of it as like uh, encouraging someone to learn how to ride a bicycle where you know that it's definitely more dangerous than not riding a bicycle <laughs> and there's probably going to be some falls and some scraped knees and stuff but overall you should probably learn how to ride a bicycle. You guys have both gotten involved in the past months over the past months and we've been talking about the various kind of struggles one faces as an early adopter of crypto and I just it's just one of those situations where I feel like we should talk about this publicly we might as well because certainly you know we're not the only ones having the same questions going through the same things and so on and I think that it's First of all, the, the, we have a episode, which is how to not go broke in the Bitcoin boom. And that's still the first source of truth that I would send people to. right? Because the important insight here is that if you just follow your emotions, you'll probably just lose money. I still think you should probably do it, right? <laughs> it's just that I think being exposed to the crypto market is overall better than not being exposed to it. But depending on how, how reckless and how risk unaware someone is, you can do some real damage to yourself if you just follow your emotional impulses, right? And and that's why that's what that episode is about. So that's I think is a good starting point. And also we have a whole course about how to make money or how to build wealth rather, which is free, which is also like for anyone who actually is serious about this and would like to be rich in like ten years or so, that's Again, it's a source of truth. All you have to do is spend time uh, to to watch it. And we are not talking about... None of the stuff I want to talk about is price-related, right? Because obviously that's the exciting part, right? Price goes up, everyone's happy. Price goes down, everyone's sad, etc. <laughs> and um, but, but that's like not the... Like that, I feel like that doesn't require any further elaboration, you know? Everybody notices that. Oh, price goes up. Awesome. <laughs> so I basically want to talk about everything else. So let's start with, um, yeah, one of the questions is like, how do you, or one of the problems is that, how do you actually benefit from this beyond the number go up factor? So, because obviously you can, you can, Use an exchange, right? You can use an exchange app like, I don't know, FTX or, or Gemini or whatever. And you buy some Bitcoin. And then you, you have, well, you have some Bitcoin. You don't really have it, right? But they owe it to you. <laughs> the exchange owes you some Bitcoin and the value of that Bitcoin hopefully goes up and then you're happy, right? Um, but there's all this other stuff going on. There is the whole decentralized finance area. There are stable coins. There are opportunities to earn yield and all this other stuff. But one problem there is like the onboarding problem, right? Um, like how do you actually get involved? Because like, okay, in theory, you can have, you know, your US dollar stable coins. You can have your USDC or USDT or, or there's like 15 others. Um and you can earn like, I don't know, 4%, 7%, 10%, depending on how degen you go, you can earn like, you know, dozens of percent of annual yield on it. And that sounds good, but but how do you actually do it, right? How do you actually get in? And, and you were struggling with this recently, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, was, that was actually precisely the situation, right? So um, when I went through the wealth course again, there were like those platforms that you suggested like uh, Nexo and Celsius and... So, so uh, another one, I think Coinbase also had like this option where you where you basically can basically put your crypto in and earn like four percent, eight percent, ten percent. Obviously, this annually, mm -hmm. and there was like especially uh, companies like Nexo um, and I think Celsius as well had like uh, insurances on on their stuff, and it felt somewhat safe. Obviously, those companies, right? Like they, uh, I just remember that like one of them had like I think thirteen billion. Uh, worth in assets and then a 375 million insurance <laughs> so obviously <laughs> shit can go wrong <laughs> so, yeah. right um but uh, like w what my thinking was okay i'll just i'll just get some stable coin i'll earn 
uh, 10% on it, um, roughly, um, like Nexon Celsius suggested, and a little bit less on Coinbase, and basically like go into each one of these platforms. And this way, I, this way, I'll diversify my risk. Basically, when one of them goes bust, uh, I still have the others. Mm-hmm. I was basically thinking of putting my runway into it, right? Like the the money that I that I basically want to lock away so that it's not just simply idling, but it, and then like eroding away by by mm-hmm. uh, inflation. But and just as a as a quick definition, right? So your runway money would be essentially the money that you can live off of in case you lose all sources of income, right? And we right. call it a runway because you know you have a six month runway. If you know if today you lose all sources of income and you can just live off of that cash for six months, that would be a six month runway. So that's what we're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. So. So right right now I just have that in in my account and mm-hmm. yeah it's not just not doing anything so then we looked into it like look, looked into how how to actually get stablecoin on there and that then became like really like complicated and the onboarding process or the the t- basically getting the stablecoin and then also getting it on the platform seemed to be really difficult so it was really easy to get an account but then you need to verify your prof- profile you need to get a wallet you need to get a wallet where you can get that and then then i then i i, I got a wallet and wanted to i don't know uh, buy stable coin and then damn 43 euros like i uh, basically wanted to make like a star transaction just to feel it out which was mm-hmm. like minimum 100 bucks or so so i, I wanted to put it in and i was like you get 100 in stablecoin you pay 150 in in dollars and I'm like what and and basically looked into where this money was going and it was like 43 bucks networking fee mm-hmm. it's like i'm getting 10% on 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 that even if it's compounding I, I yeah. know, you'll you'll never make it back right you'll never no. make on a on a 100 dollar transfer you'll n- never make your network fee back yeah and so this is this is something just like and this is something where you can ask questions if something isn't clear right but basically if you're seeing a uh, you know a fifty dollar network fee, you're probably operating on ethe- on Ethereum layer one, which means like the base layer of Ethereum directly on the Ethereum network, and the Ethereum network makes a trade off between essentially decentralization and fees. So the idea is that for the network to be truly decentralized, you want to make sure that anyone can run a node of the network at home. And that means it can't require massive hardware, right? So if you say, okay, in order to run your own node of a network, you need to invest like $150,000 into high-tech server hardware, then it's not going to be very decentralized, right? Because very few actors can afford this kind of money. And so with Ethereum, the idea is that you can on a... I don't know what it would cost. The, the minimum would probably be maybe something like five hundred dollars to run your own node that validates the Ethereum network. And because the costs are so low, it is the most decentralized network of its kind. With you know, I think it's something like tens of thousands of nodes um, running. And this is a good thing, right? This is a good thing for the decentralization, the security of the network. But because the hardware of each individual node is is relatively weak, it means that there is a limit. There's essentially a throughput limit, right? And because again, if you think about it, right, the ne- the network itself is all of those computers running the network, and because those are relatively affordable computers, the amount of data you can push through the network at any given moment is relatively low. And because there's huge demand for the network, the result of that is high fees. Because essentially you can say, look, there's only this much, it's called block space, right? There's like only this much space for every block. And you have to bid if you want to be in this block. It just creates a bidding war, right? If there's more people who want to be in than there's space available, then it's just like, well, I'm going to outbid whoever is the lowest bidder so that I get in this block. And so with Ethereum, this is happening all the time. And because there's so much demand for it, honestly, $40 is pretty cheap these days. Okay. It's, it's not uncommon if you, especially if you have like, you know, if a simple transfer, like sending a token from one wallet to another. Yeah. That's going to cost like 50 to a hundred dollars or so. Typically in the last few weeks, um, more complex interactions with contracts, easily hundred, two hundred dollars or more, right. For a single just like get my money into this contract. It's like $200. 
And so this creates exactly that problem. Like even if you have a contract, you know, you, you're interacting with some DeFi, some decentralized finance application where, okay, you can earn yield here. But it's like if it costs $200 to get your money in and then presumably $200 to get it out again, like you have to transact in hundreds of thousands of dollars because otherwise you're just never going to make that money back, right? <laughs> and so this is this is a serious problem. And it's a problem, this is where we, you know, this is an early adopter problem because there are technical solutions to this and it's called layer two, essentially. So you have... Um, it's almost like separate networks that settle onto the Ethereum network. And you have these layer two solutions. Some of them are really good. Um, Arbitrum is one I've used, which I think is really good. I'm very excited about the like the zero knowledge ones coming out. But again, the onboarding process is, okay, well, how do I get my money into Arbitrum? Well, usually you have to, you have to buy Ethereum, put it in an Ethereum wallet, then bridge it to Arbitrum. Again, you've already spent like $300 just to do that, right? Yeah. So you have to spend $300 in order to be able to cheaply transact, right? <laughs> it's like, it really prices people out horribly. And uh, and this is a serious, serious issue. Uh, like personally, like I've told you, like I'm I'm at the same time a huge fan of Ethereum. I, I love Ethereum as a, you know, the principles behind it. I love that the trade-offs they make, I think they're making the right trade-offs. I think it might be the future of everything, but I also hate it. I fucking hate Ethereum. Like the user experience of layer one Ethereum is the absolute worst. I fucking hate it. And it's just like, and I, and I feel like it cannot be said loudly enough because there's so many, you know, Ethereum fanboys basically who, who they basically just can't admit that it's a piece of shit, right? It's a piece of shit. Like who the fuck wants to use an application <laughs> where essentially imagine using a phone app where every time you tap an icon it costs a hundred dollars and you have to wait for half an hour <laughs> like how is that good <laughs> in no in no version of the universe is that a good idea right and we just have to admit unless you're settling millions of dollars it's a piece of shit and even if you're settling millions of dollars like who the fuck wants it? like even then i would like to have a cheaper faster network please right <laughs> so anyway <laughs> anyway <laughs> I think that it has to be said, right? This is terrible and it needs to change. And even some of the L2s and some of the, you know, the alternative chains and whatnot that are, you know, better and faster and whatnot that make different trade-offs, even many of them are too expensive. I mean, even Arbitrum transactions right now are too expensive, let's be honest. Um, but anyway, the problem is basically, and this is the on-ramp, on-ramp off-ramp problem, is that it is too inconvenient to get your money get your fiat money onto these networks and off of the networks because and and you know i would really like to be um i would like i would like to be a more integrated user of this stuff so for example i, I would prefer to have basically all my money in crypto like i would like to have all my money on chain i'm not a huge fan of banks you know i've had a horrible experience with banks i would rather have all my money on chain and i would like to pay everyone uh, in in crypto um i would like to i would like to be able to do that kind of stuff but there's another th again the, the other side of that problem is of course i could pay you guys in stable coins for example right but then how do you spend those stable coins there's a lack of off-ramping as well like we need to get to the state the ideal outcome would be you know that you just have a card right or a phone app um that you use to make payments at at your, you know, mm -hmm. a point of uh, point of sale payment terminals, um, you know, by you know the typical, you know, tap the card or tap the phone, right? But instead of it going through the Visa network, through whatever, through your bank, all this, like, there's so many steps involved in that. It's kind of dumb, right? It would basically be uh, a crypto transaction. So, and that would be ideal, right? The, the ideal. So, and that kind of, but that's that shows you how early we are, because ideally. I would like our customers to pay us in crypto. I would like to to hold the company's money in crypto, pay everyone that we need to pay in crypto, and everyone and every one of them can go around and pay for whatever they want in crypto, right? But the reality is, right now, you have to on-ramp your money and you have to off-ramp your money. Hmm. 
And if it's expensive, that makes it kind of pointless, right? Especially if you just want to earn yield on stable coins, unless you're moving around huge amounts of money, it makes it kind of pointless. And if it's inconvenient, that also doesn't help. Because you could use something like Solana, right? Solana is essentially like the the non-decentralized version of Ethereum. Um, and also, you know, I've pissed off all the Ethereum fanboys after. I've just pissed off all the Solana fanboys by saying that. But let's be honest, it's not decentralized. Um, it, it, you know, it went offline for like 17 hours a few weeks ago. It's like, look, your, your blockchain is not supposed to go offline. That's not supposed to happen, <laughs> all right? Yeah. <laughs> so... So Solana is on the other side where it's like it's very fast, it's very cheap, it's it's really nice to use, right? And it's the kind of thing where each transaction costs some fraction of a cent. It costs so little that you don't even care. And it's very fast, super nice to use, right? So from a user experience perspective, I would immediately say, okay, yes, let's use Solana. But then from a security perspective, you're suddenly like, okay, um, you start worrying more about having a lot of money there, right? Um, but again... Then how do you spend your money, right? If I if I send you Solana stable coins as your salary, <laughs> what do you do? Like then you have to figure out you have to send it to it. You know you probably have to like exchange it for the Solana token, send it to a centralized exchange, change it to euros there, pay it to your banks. Like <laughs> the process is horrible, basically. Um, like as a maybe as an just uh, for me to understand the the networking fee remains the same for every transaction no it's the network fee it kind of depends on it depends on how much block space it uses up essentially hmm. so it's like how much how much how many steps are in this or how much data does it take up but you can think of it as like block space right literally the the blockchain right saves one block after another onto the chain and there's a, a certain amount of space in each block And depending on how much of that space you want to use up, depending on how much data you want to use, the more you have to pay. And is um, is that is that data used up mainly by by me doing the transaction itself, or is it mainly used up by how much of the assets I transfer? Oh no, it doesn't matter how much you transfer. Okay, so so the the transfer fee it's not like a percentage, right? Okay. Because and you can think of it, right? If the the thing you want to write to the chain is you know send this amount of tokens to this contract mm. that basically uses the same amount of data whether the amount you send is a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand or a million mm. you know it doesn't use significantly more data yeah so yeah so so what i was what i was thinking is maybe as an early adopter option while this is all a little bit shitty Right, we're talking about, for example, the company holding a little bit of bit, or not even Bitcoin, like crypto, just mm -hmm. uh, just crypto, and and also uh, paying people in crypto. And might maybe it's a it's an early adopter option to basically on a monthly basis or so on ramp with a one time fee, basically mm -hmm. uh, a part of the company's money based on a how much we want to deposit and b. Uh, how people maybe we can split pay people or so i don't know if how significantly more elaborate that would be but maybe that might be a way to basically get around most of the on-ramping costs yeah i mean this is this is really the problem with especially ethereum layer one is that it's so expensive that even for something like your monthly salary it's not worth doing but the impact it has on that price every month it's just too much Mm. especially if you have to pay it twice because <laughs> you have to pay it to get it on and to get it off right well well i i would i would imagine that um when you pay salary in in on-ramped crypto that you'd probably like you would you would have like a percent like for example if we if we make a deal let's say it's just, just a fictional number of the the payout is t uh, 2k or so right mm -hmm. that we didn't say okay can i be paid 1.5 in in euro and yeah. 500 in stablecoin because then i can use the stablecoin and just get it directly onto nexo and just yeah. don't do anything with it but it's just there yeah i mean that's i think there are definitely options to explore but i think even for something like this i wouldn't want to be on on layer one yeah because i would like you know i think ethereum is the the best bet for a smart contract platform um But I think what we really need is is really good integration and, and on and off ramping from and to a layer two directly. So what would work, and I think there's like first signs of this happening, 
but I don't know if there's any working implementations right now. But what would work is if I can uh, exchange dollars or euros or something for Ethereum, let's say, on a centralized exchange, because that's generally the on-ramp right now, right? You have to have something like that. And then I send it directly to Arbitrum. So I basically never interact with layer one at all. Mm. That solves the problem, right? And then, and then you can, uh, yeah, then you can say, okay, I pay you the salary, um, and there the the fee, the transaction fee, I think currently would be something like one or two dollars or something per transaction. So it's like, it's not a problem, right? Uh, it's still too expensive. Still too expensive. It's supposed <laughs> to be cheap, but <laughs> but um, but that doesn't have like this tangible impact on the bottom line anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as I know, you know, you can have direct um, paths like that to some of these side chain type things. I mean, you can definitely do it to like Binance Smart Chain, but that's like the least centralized thing of all time. <laughs> and, uh, or the least decentralized thing, I should say, of all time. And, um, and Polygon, which isn't, is kind of also not quite the real thing. Um, mm. like the ones I would really, you know, the ones that, that I feel like, okay, technologically, this is the right thing to use are kind of still coming. They're kind of still coming. And I do think they will come, but it's just an interesting, it's an interesting moment because I think you can see that as a, as a speculator or investor to crypto, we're not that early anymore. But as an actual user, you're still pretty early, right? Because the the majority of the use case of crypto up until this point has been to make more money. Yeah. A question I have on that is, it's clear to be an early adopter of making more money. It's going to be good for you. If you bought a little bit earlier, you're going to be rich now. <laughs> but with sort of what's the benefit of being an early adopter of a user? Is there one? I mean, I think that's the problem, right? Right now, it is. There's not really a strong benefit for this. It is so. If I think about it from from my perspective, um, if we think about the the company's money, having one of the benefits of having the company's money on chain would be that we could earn some yield um, while while doing other things. And essentially, and the larger your company treasury is, the more interesting that becomes. Mm. So, because also the impact of just inflation is just becomes more and more painful and more meaningful the more money um, you're you're working with, essentially. And and there, yeah, I'd be very interested. To, to me, that would be that would be a serious benefit, right? If if we could have um, again, if we could get paid in crypto, essentially, so it's on chain right away. And we could deploy, we could basically deploy our capital more intelligently, right? Mm. We could deploy our capital more intelligently and with fewer loopholes to jump through, which basically would just make the whole operation more efficient. So, because my take here would be, I would like to take on a little bit of risk in order to increase our chances of just multiplying our money. Mm. And so if we could do everything on chain and we could say, okay, look, all the money you know, and also this kind of automation potential where you can say, look, all the money comes in, it's on chain, it automatically gets directed to some kind of an allocation that that we decide, right? Here's how we allocate our capital uh, into like higher and lower risk baskets. And this earns money the entire time. And then you either have once a month payouts to everyone who needs to get paid, or you could even have streaming payments, which I think would be fucking cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Where you have essentially, instead of yeah paying people in batch once a month, if you could just stream payments and you could have the whole thing essentially as a flow. Like imagine, imagine if you have, and I think that that's one of the potential futures, you know, that we could arrive at is that your customers pay you by streaming money. So especially for recurring stuff, you know, instead of once a month, you know, it's like this many fractions of a cent every minute or something. Mm. So your customers stream this money to you, you allocate it into however you want to allocate it, and it streams out to the people who need to get paid. Mm -hmm. This could be massively more efficient, 
But again, it only works if the fees are very, very low. Yeah. So, and and there, you know, but I, I'd be fine with either because the, you know, monthly payment thing also has an advantage where you can essentially hold on to the money for a whole month and let it grow and then pay people. So that's that's also fine. But yeah, I think right now, my perspective on the whole market is that the the potential benefits are still like very early and very you know many are, are unproven and there's still you're taking on a lot a lot of risk just because stuff can go wrong and um the the drawbacks are basically a, a huge obstacle i mean this is why we're not doing it yet mm. you know otherwise we'd be all over this yeah um so the 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 f when i'm when i'm thinking like let's say we're we're um selling a product right and it's 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 worth um, it's like a more high ticket product, right? Um, it the fees would be so high that they would, um, like like if we if we for example give customers two options where we say okay, let's say if you pay us in let's say Bitcoin or stablecoin or whatever we want them to pay us in in another currency, mm -hmm. that we give them the option and maybe have them pay a little bit less because we know that we are getting it back in our yields, right? Yeah. Um, and do you think that? Uh, the transaction cost is so high that most people are going to be like, ah, sorry, but no. Or do you just think that most people are not using it yet so that, that, that they're like... Uh, both, yeah, both. So, yeah, if you... if you Basically, if you wanted to switch the business to pay me in crypto, unless you are basically exclusively doing all your marketing and community building and so on in the crypto space, for most people, it'd just be like, I, I can't do this. I can't pay you with this. <laughs> But also, yeah, uh, Ethereum is is untenable for this because, mm. yeah, if you say, even if the product is expensive, even if it's a $2,000 product and then you pay a, a $100 fee or $200, it's basically too much. It's too much of an addition. Mm. Um, and, and of course, you know, the, the way you would do it is that you would take the network, like we would pay the network fee. But again, then it's like, it just doesn't make sense, right? It's just giving money away. Hmm. for very limited benefits. So so again like um I think definitely different solutions have to emerge here. Hmm. Um and even for things like subscription payments there's just no decent system for this yet in the crypto space because in the fiat space you have um yeah you you have all these systems with credit and debit cards and all this kind of stuff that allow someone to to take subscription payments and be fairly sure that you know next month you're going to get paid again <laughs> and in crypto that doesn't really exist yet yeah and 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 bitcoin what a what an on-ramping process is not really a problem like like that payment would be too volatile to be like pay us this much in bitcoin or yeah i mean that's that's also an interesting problem that all the let's say all the most popular cryptocurrencies share this problem is that Like the, the reason people get in is because number go up and therefore you don't want to spend it. Like who wants to spend their Bitcoin, right? And you even have Michael Saylor, I think. I think this is a real quote. I don't know, with, with that guy, you, you don't know. So Michael Saylor is the, is the MicroStrategy CEO who has become notorious for basically buying as much Bitcoin as he possibly can with his company's balance sheet. <laughs> And I and yeah, he's he's like the Bitcoin Chad, right? <laughs> and he's he's very vocal about it. And so yeah, I'm not I'm not entirely sure if this is a real quote, but let's assume it's a real quote, a Michael Taylor quote. It's like the first rule of Bitcoin is you do not sell your Bitcoin. The second rule of Bitcoin is you do not sell your Bitcoin. <laughs> and so and it makes sense, right? If you're a believer, if you are buying this, especially if you're like a more You know, that's the interesting thing about Bitcoin, actually, because Bitcoin has become, it's like the boomer crypto now, right? Hmm. <laughs> because you're not buying Bitcoin anymore because you're hoping to become a millionaire next month. It's too late for that with Bitcoin. And that's why everybody, you know, that's why people even, <laughs> that's why people buy Cardano, right? Because Cardano is cheaper. <laughs> hmm. um, and all, all the other stuff, right? Doge, Shiba, you name it all the other cheap coins that uh that people love to buy you know one of the greatest one of the greatest value proposition memes in the entire space is 
if this goes to one dollar, I'll have X dollars, right? So you have you have Shiba Inu, which costs zero point zero 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 one dollars. You go, oh my God, if I buy you know ten million of these, if it goes to one dollar, I'll have ten million dollars. <laughs> Never mind whether that's even remotely possible, right? <laughs> that's just a very strong value proposition, right? <laughs> and so. Hmm. So people are uh, aping into all this stuff because they, they're hoping to become rich very, very soon. But Bitcoin is already not like that anymore. Like, I think everybody knows that you, if you buy Bitcoin now, it's more like a you'll be rich in 10 years kind of thing, right? So, which means you have like, you either have traders who know what they're doing or you have high conviction holders, where the two rules that I just outlined before do apply. Like, why would you buy the thing that's literally going to make you financially free in five to ten years? Why, do, why would you sell the thing? Yeah, why would you sell the thing that is going to make you financially free in ten years? That makes no sense. And so if someone offers a, a course or some other product, and you can either pay in, in Bitcoin, which is going to make you rich in the future, or in fiat, which is dropping in value as we speak, obviously you're going to pay in fiat. And yeah. this is also a big, um, you know, in terms of like economic theory, this is a big thing about inflationary money, right? Um, this is, <laughs> your local polit politician is about to remind you that inflation is a good thing. <laughs> they haven't talked about this in a long time, but now they're going to start bringing it up. They're going to say, you know what? Inflation is a good thing because it stimulates the economy. Because it makes people spend, right? If you have a deflationary currency, so it becomes more valuable over time, you don't want to spend it. You want to hold on to it. Mm. And that's bad for the economy because the economy needs money to circulate, right? And inflation is good <laughs> because it makes people spend money. And this is also, and by the way, right, in the EU, we have people experiencing negative interest rates on their bank accounts. This is a real thing. Yeah, I, I had a bank account that had yeah. like that. I, I had like, I had basically no money on it, but every time it like zapped me a couple of cents every month or so. Yeah. Yeah. Why? <laughs> yes, negative interest rates because inflation isn't enough, isn't bad enough. Apparently, <laughs> it's not bad enough that your money is losing value. You're, you're also getting punished for holding it at all, right? And yeah, this is all to stimulate the economy. Um. Anyway, so. This is so this is definitely a problem, right? If you're holding something and this is also the whole meme, the narrative or or one of the more successful narratives in this cycle for for Bitcoin has been, you know, store of value. It's a long-term store of value. It's the thing that you put your money in in order to um in order to preserve and grow value and you generally don't transact with your store of value. And so I think this is again the goal outcome here would be that you have that it's basically just easier to make these decisions because yeah even if you even if you say okay i want to get paid in bitcoin you're still going to make a decision about how much of that am i going to convert into spending money right and yeah i mean i think the smart thing to do is it basically doesn't matter if you get paid in Bitcoin and then convert some of it into, into fiat or, or stable coins. Basically, you convert some of it into spending money. Or it's the other way around. You get paid in fiat and you convert some of it in Bitcoin. Because you definitely don't... like. One of the reasons it doesn't make sense to simply only get paid in Bitcoin and spend Bitcoin is because it could, it could be problematic... If Bitcoin crashes, you know, it's like, oh, suddenly I just don't have enough money <laughs> to pay rent, right? Because just my net worth was cut in half. And that is still in the cards, right? Like Bitcoin is getting a bit less volatile, but it's only been a few months since the last like 55% drawdown in one week, right? So it's still, if you just have all your money in Bitcoin, yeah, you can still see your network cut in half in, in very short order. And so, yeah, it makes more sense to have a pool of spending money and you have investing money. And if you're a Bitcoin maxi, then you want as much money as possible in Bitcoin. But I think for most people, it makes sense to have some kind of a mix of assets. You have your spending money. Maybe you have some yield bearing asset or something where you don't expect, you know, the price to spike like crazy, but you kind of ex expect a, a more 
gradual increase and then you have some more risky assets. And the goal is really to make that as easy as possible, right? That's where we want to get to, where you can like decide what is my allocation? Where do I want my money to go? And whenever you get paid, it automatically distributes into these categories, right? Mm -hmm. um, I maybe want to quickly talk about the, like um, uh, Revolut, the, the online bank that I'm using, has um, this very nice feature where they basically have a crypto tab. It doesn't mean that you have a wallet. Uh, a wallet technically, it just it just means that the company owes you that Bitcoin. But mm -hmm. um, it makes it very convenient to basically just you open the app, you click on crypto, you you tap buy, and off you go. Yeah. Right. And it's and and I found that to be that more than anything else a catalyst for basically getting into the into it because um, like once you're in once you're invested as you said like now I'm checking the the course every second day or something and obviously it's on my mind because of that um, and and now I'm starting to think about like getting a decentralized uh, like non custodian uh, like wallet and shit like that yeah yeah and it's you know I also think that in in past years in past cycles there was a lot of talk about not your keys not your coins right if you don't actually have self-custody of the private keys then it's not your bitcoin and you're going to lose it and everything's going to be terrible and that's because of course some people were burnt right uh, the mount gox thing if anyone wants to read up on that right lots of people lost um, lots and lots of money in in the mount gox crash basically And so there was a lot of the chanting of you know take your take always take your coins off of the exchanges because you could lose it all. I think that's just not true anymore. Basically, I, I don't think that's a huge risk to have some money on on Revolut or on your on your Coinbase account or whatever. Uh, and it's the same kind of thinking, you know. Like a good hardware wallet will cost, I don't know, anything between like a hundred and maybe three hundred euros or dollars, something like that, right? So. Basically, it's not cheap. And obviously, right, it's, it's the thing that secures your wealth. You wouldn't want to get the cheapest one. You, you want to get the yeah. most secure one. So you're going to be spending over $100, let's say. And that just doesn't make sense to do if you own $100 worth of Bitcoin, <laughs> you know? It makes sense to do once you own a significant amount, once you own maybe a few thousand dollars worth of it. Like, then you should start thinking about, okay, I should have a hardware wallet and I should move this to a hardware wallet, right? That makes sense. But I think we are now in the position where, yeah, you know, obviously, look, I think that it, it would be much better to not need centralized institutions like Revolut to do this. Mm -hmm. But realistically, that's how you start, right? You, yeah. you start with the simplest option and I think Revolut have done a good job of that to make it easy to just get in. And then as you get into it and as your assets grow, You, you need to start thinking about other options, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's been my experience using Bitstamp. And to go all the way back to the beginning where you said kind of like slowly getting into this type of thing, it was a real easy way. I followed the rule, like only put 50 euros in. And then you learn all those little lessons along that way of going, oh, this is how that works. And oh, this is how... You think you know it until that it happens, yeah. right? And then you put a bit of money in willing to lose it it grows <laughs> mm -hmm. and then over time you learn and and off you go so i've also been really happy with that process and also just like that building that emotional resilience as you go in the beginning it's really important but mm. now you know listening to these conversations and also learning what these conversations even mean was important and that took three months and yeah. some of the points i'm like i'm still a bit behind on some of the stuff and like oh okay But what I'm getting at here is I really do see how this is different to the stock market. It's that accessibility that we already have now. Yes, it's not as good as it should be, but it's already a whole lot easier and a whole lot more accessible. Yeah. And that makes it both more dangerous, but also great because everyday people like myself are starting to understand how to make money from money and not from the work that we do. Yeah. And I, that's what I can see as like the, why this is important because I think that even small time entrepreneurs will have that potential in the future where they can do whatever they want to do because they love it and they're good at it. And the way that their business is set up, their business model 
mm. is based on money makes money, not on I'm selling my time. And yeah. this, for me, if I'm understanding this correctly, that's where we're going with this. If it if it works out. Yeah, I mean that's that's. I think that's also something that will become less and less the case. And in that in that sense, we are still early, right? Because mm. we are still in and obviously look i could be wrong about all this right but but i happen to think that um that crypto and and web3 kind of stuff which is you know the yeah all this all this decentralized decentralized finance nfts and so on is often referred to as web3 now i happen to think that this is going to be a very significant part of the future. I happen to think that what we are looking at here is the early stages of something that will transform society, just like, you know, the iPhone in 2007, Mm. uh, just like the rise of social media, right? Where in the beginning, this wasn't clear. In the beginning, it wasn't clear that some website where university students can find other university students would would become like a major major influence on everyone's life that wasn't clear um i think that this is what we're looking at and i do think in that sense we are still early which is also why i say look i think it is positive expected value i think it is just being exposed to crypto even if you make mistakes and you lose money and stuff like that as long as you don't exit the game I think you're going to look back on this and be like, oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God I got in then, you know. Because I do think that if it takes over the world, that will be it will be less the case that, that you can just be like, oh, I'm just going to put my money here and I'll eventually get rich, right? Like, you know, the Bitcoin price appreciation will flatten out and the the edge you can have by going out in the risk curve and buying doggy coins and stuff like that, is it's also going to get harder to to win doing that. So I do think that maybe for the next, let's say, decade or so, that is a huge opportunity where you can put some of your money into into crypto and it's going to accelerate your path towards financial freedom. But I don't think it's a long ser- long-term like sustainable use case. Although I do think like one of the things that this will do if it succeeds is it will capture all the inefficiency that's currently being captured by middlemen. So right now... Like the reason that you're not, you put your money in a bank account and you, you're losing it. You're losing it to fees. You're losing it to inflation. You're losing it to interest rates that are either non-existent or even negative. But meanwhile, there's this whole machinery of banks and hedge funds and uh, trust fund managers and investors and, and all this, this, this huge machinery that's extracting loads of money out of this system. So it's like they're getting all the money instead of you getting that money. And so I do think that I do think that in a in a normal world it should be possible to have an economy where people are paid a living wage, a thriving wage perhaps, um and where you can you can have a um you know, a savings that grows at some reasonable rate. You know, it's not going to be like, it's not going to be 100% a year on average like like Bitcoin has been doing. But it's going to be maybe 3% or 4% or 5% or something per year, you know. And that's actually really significant. <laughs> that, that matters over a lifetime. That matters a lot, right? So I do think that that's going to become more normal, yeah. I also wanted to just like piggyback on the on a comment on like basically entrepreneurs changing their business model a bit to basically having holding more of their value somewhere else. Um, like I I know a few, few people, especially coaches, who have basically been like, I wanna I wanna like make an online course or so to to become like to to basically detach like my time that I spend on a daily basis from my income and stuff. Mm. And I was thinking that that might be a, a valuable. A, a viable option at least at the moment um to basically like do the do the coaching and do the, the thing that is basically giving you a, a significant amount of money and basically just like always keeping 20 or 30 percent in into something that is somewhat well appreciating at some yeah. point you can probably ex- extract so much from it 
that you can say, okay, let's just take a month off or a month or two months off, or let's just like use those two months off to to create that product, which is then gonna make right, help yeah. me make pass more passive income, right? Totally, and I mean even even more so. Right? I think that um, this is a way to accelerate towards financial freedom. Is if you again, if you take on this bet, right? If you say, okay, this is going to grow, like the whole space. This is something, you know, Raul Paul, uh, who is a macroeconomics guy, he basically, you know, one of his, uh, this is a quote from him, is he's just like, look, this whole space is going to go 100x, right? It doesn't mean that every single crappy coin is going to go 100x, but like the, the space as a whole is going to grow by 100x. So if you have reasonable exposure to it, then you're going to see um, very, very serious appreciation. And that means that one of the ways in which to accelerate towards financial freedom, and, and that's look, that's what I would do if I were starting out now, is to go really hard now and plow as much money as possible into this. Um, while while you're saying that that um, like the space has a lot of potential, um, is there something that equals like uh, the World Index Fund for 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 like what is the what is the largest scale? basically thing that covers the whole market or does this does, does something like that exist there are index there, there are indexes that you can get into so there are there is like uh you know it's like the top 20 the crypto 20 uh you know some allocation of top 20 coins there's the bed index which is bitcoin ethereum and uh DeFi. what is it the DeFi perp no the DeFi crap <laughs> the dpi um I can't remember what DPI stands for, but anyway, that is an index of decentralized finance tokens, and there's a bunch of others. In general, these indexes haven't performed great compared to individual assets. So, for example, the DPI has underperformed pretty horribly for quite a long time because it consists of like the original, let's say, the original DeFi. Um, tokens like Aave, Uniswap, Maker, and whatnot. And these have underperformed horribly compared to Ethereum and compared to newer um, DeFi projects like OlympusDAO and whatnot. And and even like something like the Crypto20 Index, I think has basically just underperformed because if you look at the top 20 from five years ago or so when that index was started, like most of those coins are not in the top 20 anymore. They're nowhere near the top 20. And so that means that there's a constant rebalancing into all these new coins that come into the top 20. And if you just held Ethereum, you would have outperformed it by miles. So right now, there there isn't an index with a proven track record that has been a really good bet for a long time, you know. For the for the most part, basically hold Bitcoin. There's like the this <laughs> You know, it's crazy to say that, but that's like the safe option. Hold Bitcoin. Only goes down by like 70% or so. <laughs> right? <laughs> and 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 if you're if you're more hardcore, it's like Ethereum, right? Ethereum went down by something 95%, I think, last cycle. It went down really, really brutally. And it outperformed a lot of the market. Even though it's the it's basically been the number two coin um almost the entire time. Um and then there's, you know. Of course, yeah. People who bought <laughs> people who bought Doge made a lot of money if they sold at the right time. People who bought Shiba made insane amounts of money if they sold at the right time. People who bought Solana early on, congratulations, <laughs> well done. <laughs> we don't have the if they sold at the right time moment yet, but who knows, right? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's like basically. And this is why this is why I generally tell people just buy Bitcoin and Ethereum and nothing else because first of all I know that you're going to buy other stuff anyway. Um, it's not like I'm going to stop you from doing that, right? <laughs> but it's just like that's. I'm proud those to say I haven't. <laughs> you haven't bought anything else yet. Uh, I had XRP for like a couple of days and then I got rid of it. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, because I didn't know better. This is part of that learning curve. I didn't understand that like each coin and each thing has its own environment. Like that's how green I was. Mm. Um, once uh, once you gave me a, sort of a hint of like, no, there's this thing in the court case. And I was like, what, what, what? <laughs> Research this. Ah, huh, hmm. 
get rid of it, bought Ethereum, been happy ever since. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad bet. Yeah, so so let's briefly also talk about that, right? There's because I've hinted at this, but I don't think we've talked about it. It's basically unit bias, right? And this is an interesting effect where essentially newbies who get into crypto will always become interested in Cardano and XRP mm-hmm. and often also Doge and other coins like that because they're quote-unquote cheap. Mm-hmm. So you look at Bitcoin and you go, oh my God, this is like 50000 or 60000 or $100,000, whatever, right? Whatever it is right now. <laughs> you never know. Anyway, it's around, you know, it's 60-something thousand as we're recording this. And you look at that and you go, wow, that's expensive. I can't even afford a whole one of those for most people, right? And you can't put that much money in. So, and everyone's, yeah, you know, people are telling me about Bitcoin and whatnot, but it's like you go down the list of tokens you can buy and you see you see Cardano, ADA, the, the ticker is ADA, and you go, oh, this is like, I don't know what it is now, like $2 or something. Mm. But for a, a long time, it was, you know, $100. Mm. So like, oh, this is cheap. Yeah, I did I that XRP. I yeah. had $100. I bought 100 units. I was there like, you go, and right? I was like, X- oh, oh, my okay, God. This, and I did that whole calculation. Exactly. If there's 100 Xs, I'm like, here we and go. And even more so, yeah, yeah, you see something like Cardano, you see XRP, and it's like, oh, this is under a dollar or it's only a few dollars. Like, I can I can own hundreds of these. Become a millionaire. And what if this yeah. becomes as expensive as that. Bitcoin? <laughs> I'll be so rich. So, so, first of all, why doesn't that work? <laughs> It doesn't work because you have to look at the total market cap. And basically, you can't, you can't just say, well, this coin you know, could be the same price as Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin, one of the key things about Bitcoin is there's 21 million of them. Mm. There's never going to be more than 21 million Bitcoin, right? There's how many Cardano tokens are there? I actually don't know, but... Many, mm-hmm. <laughs> many more than 21 million. And so if a Cardano, if an, if an ADA was as was $50,000, the total market cap of this thing would be absolutely astronomical. And so the total amount of money it takes, this is how you have to think about it, right? The total amount of money it, it takes to get the token to that price level is in many cases impossible. Mm. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> So that's how you have to think about it. And but the other thing you have to think about, like it doesn't matter if you own one or a hundred or a fraction, you know. Whatever money you put in, it goes up or down by some percentage. That's what matters, right? Yeah. <laughs> so if you if you buy a cheap token and it goes up by ten percent, then you have ten percent more money. If you buy an expensive token and you only have a fraction of it and it doubles in value, then you've doubled your money. It doesn't matter yeah. what fraction of it you own, right? Well, that that's the lesson that you learn when you put your first 50 in. Mm-hmm. Where that 50 goes in, that's your start point. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that until you do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can <laughs> sit here and explain it all day, but yeah, you have you to do it, do yeah, it, totally. You're like, ah. Also, I let me at, at this point say, like, I think that at this point, it is irresponsible to not have any exposure to crypto. Right. <laughs> honestly it. it's like what are you doing do you hate money <laughs> have some exposure to crypto for crying out loud and okay you know your financial advisor your your boomer financial advisor will probably tell you oh, well at this point even your boomer advisor will tell you you know you should have an allocation of like one percent or maybe up to five percent mm-hmm. up to five percent of your portfolio could be something like bitcoin can i interest you in this <laughs> you know futures-based uh etf where you don't actually own Bitcoin. It's like, no, first of all, no, fire your financial advisor <laughs> if you have one and and put all your money in Bitcoin. No. <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, do a 5% allocation or do a 1% allocation. I don't care, but actually buy it, buy the actual thing. Don't don't give someone extra fees <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to give you something that isn't Bitcoin. Like, no, buy the actual thing. And even if that's all you do, if you put 1% of your net worth into Bitcoin right now and you just don't do anything else, over a long enough time period, that's probably going to become like 50% or 90% of your net worth, right? Yeah. You might as well do it. (laughs) Just do it. And if it doesn't work out, if it turns out that I'm some kind of a delusional charlatan, then you're going to lose 1% of your net worth, right? (laughs) Worst things have happened. I honestly think it's irresponsible to have any exposure to this right now. Um, And don't be, you know, you can... 
you can buy yourself a little bit of exposure and a little bit of insight and experience into this new thing for, yeah, for 50 euros yeah. or whatever it is so that you're no longer simply sidelined and coping, okay? Because, look, even if you're... <laughs> First of all, if you're if you're sure that this is all a scam and it's going to zero, then short it and make money. It's very easy to short Bitcoin, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to bet on the demise of Bitcoin, get rich doing it. But if even if you're like skeptical, yeah, like put like $50 in just so that you and, and then you can still you can still tell people like me I told you so, mm-hmm. you know, when your $50 goes down to $5. You can still, you know, <laughs> it's fine. But yeah, I do think that because there's a lot of things that you only learn when you're actually playing the game. Yeah. Even little things. And it's absolutely worth a little bit of money to just get a tiny bit of exposure to start, you know, start actually experiencing this. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, and go slow. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, Jonas and I have both, w- w- it's been what, a couple of months now and we've both seen I guess our net worth has gone up. I mean, like it, it, it's a tiny little bit, but it has, uh, and that's great. And yeah. the only downside that we've experienced, or I'll speak for myself rather, is well, you did say it, a slight obsession. Yeah. You you do kind of like the charts going up. It, it could go up thirty percent right now while we're talking. And it doesn't really change my bottom line that much because I've got so little in the game. But you still want to know. You're still yeah. checking. You're still going. Um, it's exciting. Yeah. And it's exciting. So mm. it, it's it's good to uh, start slow and become aware of that like obsession mm-hmm. early mm-hmm. and turn it into education rather than just looking at the charts. Like yeah. go and learn about the environment. Learn about what some of these things we've spoken about today, if you don't understand what they mean, like understand the stuff. Uh, I think that's, that's been the most, that's been equally exciting for me. Yeah. To sit around in a conversation where literally three months ago, this would have all been gibberish to me. Yeah. Like completely. Yeah. So this is where we can also, let's talk about risk a little bit, because of course it is risky. And let's, let's be clear, even though I'm generally very bullish on this stuff, I, I, I do believe that, like I said, it's the future of everything, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> you know. Um, I also am very risk aware and you won't hear me complain if I lose everything that I've put into crypto. Like that's You take a risk, you take a very real risk of loss here and there's more than one way to lose your money in crypto. But I also think that, and, and this is something in general, that not just when it comes to money, I just think that the whole approach of trying to bubble wrap the world is not useful. And that is a lot of, there's always a lot of fuss about, oh, you know, isn't this, oh, it's, it's too risky. You know, don't do this, it's too risky. It's just like, okay, so you have to do this safe thing. What are, we're buying like 10-year bonds to get 0.1% yield or something like that. Is that like, is that safe enough? Oh, actually some bonds have turned negative too now, so I guess that wasn't safe either, damn, mm-hmm. right? It's like, what is safe enough? Um and it, there's there's almost like this illusion of, well, as long as you do things that worked in the past few decades, it's safe. What if the world changes, though? Mm. Which it has a lot, right? So a lot of things that looked like the, the right thing to do, the safe thing to do for a long time, eventually they stop being the right and safe thing to do. And I think there's basically an, an illusion of safety. And if your goal is to be maximally safe, I basically can't help you. I think that what you should strive to be is to be maximally competent, right? Mm-hmm. Maximally, basically, fitness is what I'm talking about, right? It's like it's survival of the fittest. <laughs> like, be more capable of surviving in the world, even if the world is not bubble wrapped. So, yes, when you get into crypto, you can lose your money. And one of the problems is what you mentioned with obsessiveness. You can get obsessed with this stuff, it can turn into an addiction. You can start experiencing very strong FOMO and start, you know, piling money into stuff and then it goes down and you panic and you pull out and it goes up again and you go, oh my God, and you put it in again and so on. You can, it can get bad, right? Mm. It can get bad. You can also get caught in bubbles without being aware of it. Yeah, you can, you like, can get caught in narrative bubbles and all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
But I think that it's it's one of those things, right? I think what you should strive to do is strive to learn how to handle this. Strive to learn how to discern some, you know, moon boy nonsense, crypto YouTube, right, where everyone's always screaming at you. Like, determine the difference between that and real information. Yeah. And learn how to handle this kind of thing. It's like learn how to handle the fear of missing out. Learn how to be disciplined with your money. It, it, that's, to me, this is, it's much safer. It is much safer to go through a journey where maybe you lose some money for a while because you make some of these mistakes. Just make sure that you make the mistakes at a price level where you can afford them. Exactly, right? yeah. And, and come out the other end with more knowledge, with more financial literacy, with more discipline about how you use your money. That is much safer in the long term than to just be sidelined because, oh, this is not safe. Oh, this is volatile, right? Mm. So, yeah, I think people should get over their endless search for safety. Yeah. Risk is also not always something that you do. We don't see the risk in the things that we don't do. Yeah. So what I mean by that is, like, how many people are saving money from their salary? Like we talk about the save 10% of your salary. Mm -hmm. How many people are actually doing it's that? Very, very few. Very few yeah. people. That's a higher risk yeah. than anything because that 10% that you're not saving, you're you're unaware that you're blowing it. Yeah. So if you if you don't save, you've blown all that money. You've lost it. That's mm -hmm. like a horrible, horrible. That's not even a risk. It's just a loss. It's just yeah. a straight up loss. Yeah, exactly. But if you saved it, and lost it as you said mm -hmm. it's a there's more there's more value in that yeah as long as you learn from your mistakes yeah exactly and also i also want to say with, with with a lot of narratives that you're going to hear about crypto and risk and there's there's a lot of narratives around it right it's all a scam it's bad for the environment it's this <laughs> and that and the other and also here's you know in terms of this would belong into the truth category of ikario topics like learn to determine the difference between information and simply social consensus narrative. Because if most people who will talk about, let's say, crypto being too risky and maybe real estate or stocks or something being less risky, they're not actually providing you information. They're simply saying the most socially acceptable thing to say about this topic hmm. right that is the socially safe thing to say and especially in the circles that that person operates in that is the way that you signal belonging to this circle it has nothing to do with real risk and if you're skeptical about what i'm saying right now it's like look at how much people worry about you putting money into bitcoin versus about you getting in your car yeah. right listen driving a car is super risky but it's just generally something we don't like we don't talk about it yeah. or maybe driving a car is not that great of an example right it's not that risky but it's just like basically it's a risk that is just we've completely socially integrated that risk right there's absolutely no social repercussion to doing it even though it has inherent risk mm -hmm. but let's say let's take something like skiing right you go skiing when's the last time <laughs> someone you know gave you some diatribe about how you shouldn't go skiing because it's so risky well guess what it's really bloody risky mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's socially acceptable this is a socially acceptable risk to take mm. and putting your money into ethereum is not yet a socially socially acceptable risk to take and so learn to determine the difference between someone giving you real information and someone just like signaling tribal belonging basically um, yeah, maybe maybe a word or two on that. I think I think um, like bringing your game up on just like determining why someone is saying what he is saying, and also like the deduction of the information, right? Like um, I think there's just like some very basic stuff that can be done, where basically someone is just like giving you a their stream of information, maybe even with some then it's very obvious like mental leaps in it. But then, like, the question is, where are the, the sources provided, right? And if you really want to know what's going on, right, you can look at the sources and the quality of those sources. And then slowly you you can start to get an image. And then obviously one has to be careful with confirmation bias, but still, like, you yeah. know, you're getting somewhere. And yeah. So. And that also counts for, for this conversation here, right? It's like all of the pro-crypto stuff I'm saying 
is I, I never want to spoon feed someone, um, you know, what they're supposed to do. So even like, I'm actually fairly reluctant to even make a statement like buy Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? Because actually, I, I don't want to tell you what to buy. I want you to inform yourself and make your own decisions, right? I think because I think that is the real power move, right? The power move is to get to the point where you make your own decisions for your own reasons and your reasoning is strong and you don't need me to tell you anything, right? Mm -hmm. So really what I'm trying to do with with all of this kind of stuff is I'm always trying to like, or to me the ideal outcome is I, I nudge people towards um, making those kinds of decisions by themselves, right? And and essentially just leveling up their own power because I think that's that's one of the dangers is to just latch on to some guru and you know, because it's all a bit complicated and intimidating and so on. And and so instead of making my own decisions about what to do with my money, what if I just listen to someone who seems to know what they're talking about and they're telling me to buy XRP or something like that, right? So, yeah, that's also just, I, I want to be clear about that. My goal is never to actually tell you what to do with your money. Um, and And basically, especially when I make more provocative statements, I'm basically just trying to nudge people into leveling up their own knowledge and, and doing some of their own research on this. Okay, with that said, let's let's cover a couple of other topics. So first of all, let's talk about NFTs. What do, uh, what do you guys know about NFTs? Um, so so what what I know about it is that it's basically 